All right, so um, we are in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, uh, and Jesus is continuing with this great discourse. That's what it's called, the, the, the discourse of the Lord Jesus, in which he lays out effectively the theology that we live by in so many ways. And so we're going to focus on verses 8 to 14. And if you have your Bible, you can follow along. Verse 8, this is, my fa- this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Wow, what what a great set of verses. And so effectively, this section of scripture is about how to glorify the Father. What is Jesus saying about what our responsibility is. And our responsibility, if you want to understand what our responsibility as Christians is, uh, it is effectively that in everything we do, we bring glory to God. That when people see us, they see God. All right? Too many times we have focused on, you know, evangelizing with our speech instead of evangelizing with our deeds and our lives. And so here you see Jesus making it very clear uh, and so here he talks about the elements, the key elements uh, in which we bring glory to God. And they are, as Jesus has laid out here, uh, the four key elements, fruitfulness, love, obedience, and joy. Now, each one is linked to the central theme of the chapter. Each one of those, the central theme of the chapter is effectively uh, bringing glory to God in so many ways. And so we've talked about fruitfulness, but Jesus brings it up again. And just so we continue to uh, 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 press that subject, turn to Galatians chapter 5. We've done it before, but it bears repeating. It's a very important passage. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, I want you to understand that each one of these things, each one of these individual fruit, effectively is the the life of Jesus Christ. You have the the very character of Jesus within you. So when you see it saying uh, love, it's the love of God in you, the joy of Jesus Christ, the peace of Jesus Christ, patience and kindness. It's not about your own character, all right? Because frankly, if it were your your own character, I'd close my Bible, walk out, and get in the car, all right? I have too many flaws that I've been born with, and you're the same way. All of us have character issues, but when we really put ourselves with God uh, and and get involved with Jesus and give him our lives, uh, and then remaining and abiding in him, it is his character that inserts himself into our lives. And it's that character that the world sees. Uh, and so that's the point of this, of, of this lesson. And so the first part of this is fruit. God wants you to bear fruit. 
Uh, and and uh, the question becomes this, and it was interesting. One of our, our people asked me last week in the in the parable of the talents. Um, one of the last verses, one of the last sentences in the parable of the talents. You know, one had five, one had two, one had one, and the one who had one buried it in the ground. And when and when the master came back, he had no fruit. He didn't do anything with it. And in that lesson, uh, the master threw him out basically uh, into the darkest places. And so the question becomes, well, what does that mean? Well, in that particular lesson, Jesus was demonstrating that if you have zero fruit in your life, you're not saved. You understand? That's what the lesson was there. Zero fruit means that you do not have the witness of Jesus Christ in your life. So I want to say that to you, that in some ways, uh, we want to be mindful of this. That God, that God expects us to be fruitful. It's part of the very character of God. Uh, and, and here's the thing. Uh, when you look at the fruitfulness uh, of God and, and you see it, you know, in the fact that love, joy, peace, uh, as we have this fruit, as we get older and the advancing age approaches us uh, and all those difficulties that come with being older, it is this very fruit that lifts you up. You understand? It does not bring you down, all right? You don't suffer from depression or an ongoing feeling of hopelessness because you have the very love of Jesus and the peace of Jesus inside your heart. Not your peace, his peace. I mean, so here's the point, folks. This is why we learn and study and be with God all these years. And especially as we get older, he wraps his arms around you, all right? Uh, and, and, and makes that, that voyage even easier for you. And so this is important as you bring that characteristic to the world. And don't, don't you understand how the world will look at you and be marveling at how you go through things, and yet seemingly you still have the joy of Jesus Christ within your heart. Now, the second of Christ's emphasis um, in this section in terms of glory to God is on love. Oh, love. And, and of all the fruits... Jesus has, has uh, clearly indicated that love is the greatest. Now, this love is not love as you have defined it in any earthly way. It is love, the love of Jesus Christ. It is the love of God that would bankrupt heaven and send God himself to die on a cross for people that didn't deserve it. All right, that's the love that we're talking about here. I want you to turn, if you would, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. And now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. You cannot truly be a Christian if you do not have the love of Jesus Christ in your heart. All right, it, it, it really, this is what separates us from the world that we have this overwhelming, abiding love in our hearts. Uh, meaning what? Meaning when you know someone is in need, you pray for them. You know someone is in distress, you go and help them. You know that, 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 that there are people in this world who are, have a desperate need for God. Your heart aches for them. All right? Your heart aches for them. You know, you saw it in a practical way, how, how our class uh, reached out for that woman who adopted her four grandchildren. It was because the love of God overwhelmed us. We didn't have a choice. You understand how this works? With the love of God in your heart, it is so overwhelming that you actually don't have a choice. 
You can't sleep. You can't stay uh, in the place where you are. You must get up. You must move. And that is the love of God. All right. And so this is this point. This is the second characteristic that will bring glory to God. Uh, and again, love is a fruit of the spirit. All right. Uh, and as I said to you, it's a chief fruit. And so uh, it, the, the first part of Jesus statement here, uh, and, and Jesus speaks of it by saying, as the father has loved me, so I have, so have I loved you. That is an amazing statement. As God has loved Jesus himself, God himself, Jesus then takes that same love and loves us. Now, have you ever focused on how deep that has to be when you're talking about a divine love? It's an absolutely amazing statement by Jesus. Frankly, it is an astonishing love, for there is nothing in us that could give cause for this action. Think about this. You are lost. You are a sinner. You are basically at war with God, and God, even before you were born or created, he died on the cross for you with your name in his hand. What kind of love is that? That God, who is immortal, would make himself mortal. Can you even conceive of that? I mean, when we conceive of people giving their lives up, and we understand that from time to time, some human beings have done some great things and maybe even put their lives on the line. But here's the thing. We know we're going to die anyway. All right? So maybe the timeline varies because of what we did. But think of God himself, who was immortal, who never had to die, and voluntarily took off that cloak of immortality and made himself mortal for you. All right, for you, when you focus on this, you say, oh, Lord, I'm not worthy. I mean, we're sinners. He is holy. What kind of equipoise is that? That this great divine being would seek in some ways to have this relationship with us through love. Um, and so the other point of this is that Jesus elected us in love and became like us in a human form. Meaning what? It means that God knew he knew in his foreknowledge that you were going to accept Jesus Christ. And so in his foreknowledge, because he knew that even as you were being created, that that would be your decision, that he then in his grace poured his grace into you so that even in that lost condition, you could reach up and say, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. What a love that is, that he would do this in this incredible way. Uh, and so his laying down of his life at the cross was a very unique and special kind of love. The voluntary act of a deity giving up his immortality for us. And so now he also challenges us to continue in his love. And now here is the abiding part that is important. The abiding part, meaning what? Meaning that if you want to continue to have the kind of life God wants you to have, you must abide in Jesus Christ, all right? It means that you will continue to be fruitful. You will continue to have the love of God because you are abiding in him. Abiding in what way? Prayer, Bible study, reading the Bible, uh, continuing on a daily basis in your connection with God and in the work that God has called you to do. You see all of this coming together, meaning that all of it brings glory to God. That's why you're created. God created you to bring glory to God, to be his hands and feet, but ultimately in this world to bring glory to God so that when people see you, they go, whoa, there's something different about those people. There's something different. 
We don't want to be the kind of people where, where you, two guys get together and one leads to the other and says, well, you know, I'm a Christian. And the other says, wow, I can't believe it. I've known you for 20 years. I never would have guessed. Yeah. What a sad commentary that is, isn't it? That's a sad, sad commentary. I pray that nobody would say that about us. Uh, and so you understand the importance of this. Now, the third word in this uh, section, the discourse of Jesus contributing to the glory of God is obedience. Important. It is expressed here as keeping Christ's command in verse 10. And you see that if you go back to verse 10, Jesus says here, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. And so here's the point. Jesus has given you the paradigm of how you are to live here. Just as Jesus obeyed God the Father, we are to obey the commands of Jesus Christ. It follows. It's, it's the same principle. Uh, now, his commands, what Jesus has told us, are not burdensome. He gives us the grace to follow. And let's just look at a couple of verses that back this up. Take a look at 1 John. That's the, God, that's the letter of John. 1 John, the epistle, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. This is love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. There it is. This is love. You want to show God that you love him? You want to show Jesus that you love him? That's how you do it, by obeying his commands. Matthew 11, verse 30. Actually, we'll start with verse 28. Come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wow, there you have it. Jesus telling you exactly what it's like to follow his commands. I am convinced uh, at this point in my life, after having really spent the last number of years studying scripture uh, and, and teaching uh, people that probably the single greatest need for Christians is submission. Submission. Now, here it's referred to as obedience. But obedience and submission really in this context are synonymous. Meaning what? Meaning this, that we have decided that we often know better than God. That we, yes, we're Christians, but, you know, we can have our own little unique blend of Christianity, right? We can have our own little unique blend of Christianity. And what you see here as you study this is that, no, you don't have your own unique blend. Because if you have your own unique blend, effectively what you have done is made a little God of yourself. Effectively, you're saying to God, oh, God, I know, I read it, but, you know, I've developed this kind of hybrid Christianity. It allows me to do the things that I want to do. And yes, I love you, God. I love you. And yet you've just seen here, he says, I repudiate that kind of love. That kind of love is meaningless to me. The only love that matters to me is a life of obedience and submission. Now, I, I want you to understand this. this am I saying to you here that I, I am obedient to God every day? Come on, are you kidding me? No teacher could ever get up and say this. I fall constantly. But here's the thing, my, my conscience is pricked. 
You understand? I understand when I said something that I shouldn't say, or I thought of something that I shouldn't, should have thought of, or I've done things that I should, shouldn't have done, and my conscience, my conscience hurt. And here's the thing, that when you are in God, when you are abiding in Jesus Christ, your conscience rises up and through the Holy Spirit and indicts you. It indicts you. Uh, it's like Nathan the prophet when he, when he confronted David who had had adulter an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba and gave him the story of that wealthy man who had a thousand head of sheep. And he decided one day he wanted to have a, a dinner. And so he went to the neighbor who had only had one sheep. And that one sheep was a pet. And he took that sheep and he slayed that sheep and he ate that sheep. And, and David in righteous indignation said, that man... That man shall be punished. And Nathan put his finger in his face and said, you are that man. You took Bathsheba, who was someone else's wife. You took her. You had an adulterous relationship with him. And now here's the thing about David. Instantaneously, he was convicted. You understand? He knew. He knew. God, God had touched his heart. And so that's the point of these lessons, the point of, of understanding this issue of obedience. God expects us to be submissive and to obey him. It is this very obedience that shows the world that we love Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 21. This is a very good example of God teaching the importance of obedience. All right? And you may not have heard it taught like this before, but I think this is a good lesson. John 21 verse 15. And this is Jesus after he's been resurrected and, and he, just before he's going to ascend. He's with the disciples. Uh, he had just basically cooked breakfast for them. How's that? Jesus cooking breakfast for you. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you, Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, here's the point of this. Jesus was very clear in what he was doing. He was identifying Peter, first of all, in his humanity. He was identifying him as to how he was born and who his family was. How he, he was very clear in doing that. And then three times he repeats the same question. Why? Because Peter had denied Jesus three times six weeks before. Now, Here's the thing about us. We don't want to recognize our flaws. The last thing in the world you want God doing to you is saying, you've got to pray. You have issues in your life. You need to correct this problem. We don't want to do that. You understand? We don't want to do that. I don't want to go there, God. I don't want to go there. And yet God says, no, no, no. You have an issue in your life. And so here Peter, God was saying to Peter, look, you have to understand something. You denied me three times and I have forgiven you. But here's a point for you, Peter, to remember that you fell. To remember that you've walked away from what you knew was right. And I am reminding you as a leader of this nascent movement that you need to be abiding in me. 
That's the lesson in that. You need to be abiding in me. And as you abide in him, you will feed his sheep. And that's the role of us. That's the role that God has called us to. Our role universally in this class and in the universal church of God is to feed the sheep, to feed those people that need to be fed, to be an example to those people who need an example in so many ways. And so you see this. Uh, God is, is making it very clear. If you want to be my friend, and that's what this passage says, if you want to be my friend, if you want to have Jesus as your friend, then you need to be submissive and obey his commands. Can I get an amen on that? All right. And so as he gave the example of he himself following the father, that's the example that he gave us. So also uh, do, do we must, we must follow him. Uh, And so Jesus now also introduces a fourth element in this discourse on the issue of bringing glory to God. Uh, In verse 11, Jesus introduces this fourth element. Uh, And if we can go back again to John chapter 15, verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So all of the things that went before, all of the, the discourse that went before, Jesus indicates, I've told you this about the importance of fruitfulness, about the importance of obedience, about the importance of love. I've told you this so that my joy, the joy of Jesus Christ will be in you and will be complete in you. It's a fourth element. Um, and, it, and what we see here is that these elements that we've just talked about lead to the fullness of joy that only comes from God. This is a joy that cannot be manufactured by man. Uh, It doesn't come out of a pharmaceutical bottle, all right? It's a joy that is only there when when we have submitted ourselves to God and are following God uh, and obeying his commands. And then as part of that walk, the joy of God is complete. And so here, this sentence speaks of the Christian's joy in three different senses. First, joy attained, then joy abiding, and joy abounding. Uh, And so understanding the differences in that, meaning joy attained the first time it comes, it's there, then joy being with you, abiding with you constantly, and then joy abounding, meaning it's so overwhelming. The joy of God is so overwhelming that it comes out of you in every possible manifestation and people are drawn to you. This is why I have never been able to understand. And I grew up with, with a lot of Christians, lifelong Christians, and they walked around with dour faces. Can I get an amen? Am I the only guy that hung around with people like that? It was almost as if they had read somewhere that if you are a Christian, you must be sad and serious and downcast, all right? It's, you're, just, you're, just, um, you're unbelievably uh, burdened. Let me tell you something, folks. I don't see anything that Jesus said that supports that. In fact, what I see is the very opposite, that if you are fully invested in Jesus Christ, that if you walk with him, that you have joy abounding. Meaning what? Look, we know bad things are going to happen to us. 
None of us wants to you know, willingly looking to die. We understand that, but we're not afraid of dying. We're not afraid of getting out of bed in the morning. We're not afraid of, of, of the next thing that comes our way. We're not in a pinball machine. Jesus Christ holds us in the palm of his hand. I can't emphasize this enough to you. You should be sitting here with the biggest smile on your face, and people should want to come to you like iron to a magnet. Yeah, you can clap for that. All right? Here is the point. People will be drawn to you like you cannot imagine. All right? They'll be drawn to you. It's not like, oh, don't go sit with that guy. He's a flake. <laughs> oh, I don't want to be around those people. They make my skin crawl. I don't want to. Instead, what you're going to find is when this joy abounding comes out of you is that all kinds of people who are hurting in so many ways are going to seek you out. They're going to ask you to pray for them. They're going to ask you to be with them. They're going to ask you to affirm them. They're going to ask you to give them the secret of the joy in your heart. And when they do that, please do not say, well, I come from a good stock of people. I have strong character. I've got good DNA. You've got zero. Nothing that you have, nothing that you have, nothing that you have relates to anything out of your genetic pool. Whatever you have in your life that relates to the joy of Jesus Christ is because God died for you. Who else can say this at 8.55 in the morning? And as I've gotten older and gotten deeper in the scripture, my, my understanding of what Jesus has done for us has become more overwhelming. And the joy in my own heart, really, the joy in my own heart really pours out. That I could never do, I could never, ever do, and thank God enough for what he's done for me. It's impossible. You understand? It is impossible. And my very hope with every fiber of my body is that in some way, somehow, I'm serving him the way he wants me to serve him. I'm obeying him in the way he wants me to obey him, knowing that it took probably till I was 50 before I understood exactly what this was about. Yes, I was a Christian. Yes, I played the organ for 40 years. Yes, I was there in church every Sunday, okay? But was I truly submitting myself to God? Of course not. All right? Of course not. And I know all of you have, have in some way traveled that same voyage. But you get to a point when you read these verses and it comes alive in your heart. And you say, Father, forgive me. I understand what you're saying to me. I need to be closer to you. I need to be in you in every way. And here's the thing. When you abide in him, as you've just done, and you give glory to God, it's not about you. You don't care if people don't make a big deal about you. I don't need honors referring to me. I don't need to have a statue referred to me. I don't have to have the church recognize me as some important person. None of that matters. Zero. And that's how it should be with you. You're serving God. All right? He knows what you're doing. He's going to honor you in so many ways, and your life is going to wind up being a poster for what it means to be truly sold out as a Christian in every possible way. We'll continue this next week. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this lesson. Lord, I thank you for this discourse. Lord, I thank you for your love. Lord, we're overwhelmed that God himself would die for us, that God would give up immortality for mortality for, for us as sinners. 
even as we were adverse to you. Lord, give us a greater understanding in our hearts of what this means. Help us, Lord, to love you more. Help us to be submissive, Lord, even as our character draws us away. Help us, God, to put our face in the dust before you. Bless our people. Let this lesson resonate this week in their lives and bring them back safely next week as we continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.